specifically says so. He's concerned about your faith. He wants you to believe. So to that end, John takes this saying from Jesus, these words that Jesus cried out before He departed in verse 36, and He puts them here at the end of this section. Now why did He do that? Verse 44 through 50 are basically a summary of everything that Jesus has been preaching throughout His whole ministry. And it's like John is giving his own invitation to his readers, even to us. It's like he's saying, Jesus gave his invitation. He called on them to believe, but they didn't believe. Their hearts were hardened. They hardened their hearts to, no, to the point of no return. There were rulers who wanted to believe. But they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God, so they wouldn't confess him. That's what happened to them. And now John says, let me invite you. Let me tell you, my reader, what Jesus said, so the same thing won't happen to you that happened to them. And then he launches into verse 44. Now that's a lot of introduction to our passage. But let's walk through it together. Notice some key points of what Jesus' message is. And then at the end, when it all comes together, hopefully you'll see the main point. What is the message of Jesus? If this is a summary of Jesus' message, what is it? Number one, Jesus is God. Verse 44, Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me, sees him who sent me. Jesus is simply making the point that He is not a man who has exalted Himself to the place of deity. Rather, He is deity that has humbled Himself to take on the form of a man. Jesus is calling on people to believe in Him, and John is calling on people to believe in Jesus. And Jesus says, whoever is believing in Me is not believing in only Me as a man, but whoever believes in me also believes in the one who sent me, namely, the Father. Jesus has already said in chapter 10 verse 30, I and my Father are one. So if you're believing in Jesus, you are also believing in the Father who sent Jesus. They are of the same essence. The Father and the Son, along with the Holy Spirit, are distinct persons who exist in one God. You cannot believe in one person without believing in all of God. If you believe in the Father, then you believe in the Son and the Spirit. If you believe in the Son, then you believe in the Father and the Spirit. If you believe in the Spirit, then you believe in the Father and the Son. Because they are one God. John has already written in chapter 1 verse 18 that no one has seen God at any time. But the only begotten Son, He has declared Him. God is a spirit. You can't see Him. But God the Son took on human flesh for Himself and now God has come down to our level so we may know Him. Jesus of Nazareth, in Jesus of Nazareth, we have the full revelation of God Himself. God in the flesh. Everything that God is, Jesus is. If you want to know what God is like, find out what Jesus is like. 
That's why the Apostle Paul said that it pleased the Father that in Him, that is in Jesus, all the fullness of God should dwell. That's why the writer to the Hebrews said that though God had revealed Himself in times past through the prophets, He has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. And that Son is, he says, the brightness of God's glory, the radiance of God's glory, and the express image of His person. If you are to believe the message of Jesus, then you must believe that Jesus is God. Number two, Jesus gives light. Verse 46, I have come as light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Jesus has already said that He's light, right? One of His great I Am statements in chapter 8, He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in me, whoever follows me, shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. In chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. And here in chapter 12, he says, I have come as light in the world. Have come is what we call a perfect active verb. It means that there are present ongoing effects to his coming. It isn't that Christ has come as a light only to those who saw him in the flesh 2,000 years ago. No, He is the light of the world that has come and still is the light of the world even today. But to what end? Look again at the second half of verse 46. That whoever believes in Me should not abide in darkness. The purpose, the result of the light coming is that those who believe in Him should not remain in darkness. Paul asked the question, what communion has light with darkness? Can you have light and darkness in the same place at the same time? No. Light dispels darkness. Those who have believed in the light of the gospel, those who have believed in the light of Christ, cannot abide, cannot remain in darkness. John reflected the same teaching in his first letter. 1 John 1, 5 and 6 says, This is the message we've heard from Him and declare to you, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now obviously we all sin, right? Anybody not sin today? But John says that if you are walking in Him, the one who is the light, you cannot simultaneously walk in darkness. Jesus said that He came as light so that believers would not remain in darkness. Doesn't mean you won't do dark things once in a while. But He came that you might not remain, abide in darkness. If you say that you have received the light, if you, if you claim to believe in Jesus, but you have sins that you walk in, sins that you remain in, you are a liar. A person's attitude towards repentance is a telling sign in thinking about whether someone is genuinely saved. If someone claims to be a Christian, but they see no need to be turning from sin, 
John says that person is a liar and does not practice the truth. Light dispels darkness. If you walk in darkness, you are not in the light. If you want to believe the message of Jesus, you must believe that Jesus is God and that Jesus gives light. Number three, Jesus came to save. Verse 47, And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The primary purpose for Jesus' first coming was not to bring judgment, but to bring salvation. Remember that Jesus has already said this when He talked to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is what? Condemned already. Because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The world is already under judgment. You, in your natural state, are already under judgment. Before Jesus ever came, the world stood under the judgment of God because of sin. You stand under the judgment of God because of sin. But Christ did not come the first time to judge the condemned. He came to save us. He, being God in the flesh, came to be a sacrifice for you. A substitute to be offered in your place. He was both truly man and truly God. He had to be truly man because only a man could rightly take the place of men and women. But He had to be truly God because no mere man could withstand the wrath of God for sinners. Jesus lived a sinless life because you couldn't and you haven't. He died in your place so you wouldn't have to face the wrath of God in hell forever. He loves you and He proved it by coming to save you. Jesus didn't come to judge, He came to save. So if you want to believe the message of Jesus, you must believe, one, that Jesus is God, two, that Jesus gives light, and three, that Jesus came to save. So what? what? Why does that matter? What does it matter whether we believe the message of Jesus? Because of verse 48. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word or the message that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Now, if you just read verse 47 and stopped, you might think there's no judgment. No consequence if you don't believe the message of Jesus. Jesus said, if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. Whew, that's a relief. No judgment. But just because He didn't bring judgment with His first coming doesn't mean there will be no judgment ever. There will certainly be judgment for the one who rejects Jesus' 
words. And the very basis for that judgment will be the very message that's been rejected. Jesus said, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. My words that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. You see, Jesus spoke the very words of God. He spoke exactly what the Father wanted him to say. Verse 49, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that His command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father told me, so I speak. Jesus isn't just some man on earth making up things He wants people to believe. No, He's speaking the very words that have been commanded by the Father. Because Jesus spoke what the Father commanded... His words will be the basis for judgment on the last day. Jesus told the Jews back in chapter 5, verse 45, that they would be judged by the words of Moses. That is, the law of God. And by that standard, we're all ruined. We've all broken the law of God. We've all had things in our lives that come before God. We've all misused God's name. We've all dishonored our parents. We've all stolen regardless of the value. We've all lied. We've all coveted. You say, well, I've never murdered, but 1 John 3.15 says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You say, well, I've never committed adultery, but Jesus said in Matthew 5 that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And James said that whoever keeps the whole law yet offends in one point is guilty of all. If we're judged by the law of Moses, we're doomed. We have no hope. So, Christ came bringing another commandment from the Father. And He says, I know that His command is what? Everlasting life. The command that brings salvation is the command to believe. You must believe, and not just have faith generically, but you must believe the message of Jesus. You must believe that He is God. You must believe that He is light and has come to dispel darkness. You must repent of your sins. You must believe that He came to save you. That He died in your place to take your punishment. And that He rose from the dead. You must believe in Him. That is, you must trust in only Him. And if you obey that command to believe, God will forgive your sins and give you eternal life. You will be saved. The grounds upon which God will judge you is your response to the message of Jesus. Do you believe it? If you haven't kept the law, and none of us have, there's no hope for salvation except in the message of Jesus. 
But if you don't believe the message of Jesus, then there is no hope for you to be saved. Judged by the law, yeah, we still have a hope, and that's in Christ. But reject Christ, what else do you have? Nothing. One day you will stand before God, you will die, or He will come again, and He will judge you on the basis of the Word of Christ. Do you believe it? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone? This is the first Sunday of the new year. Many of you have made resolutions. Some of us will keep some of our commitments. But we know the statistics, don't we? What happens by, you know, the 8th or the 15th? <laughs> Most of those have already fallen aside. Most of the promises that we've made to ourselves or to God will we'll break them. And our resolve will fade. Don't put your trust in your own resolve. Don't put your trust in a commitment to be a better you. The absolute best version of you is still filthy in comparison to a righteous and a holy God. Your only hope is to trade your perceived goodness and your outright sin for the righteousness, the true goodness of Jesus Christ. He'll make that trade with you if you'll put your faith and your trust in Him alone. Paul said that the one who knew no sin was made sin for us so that in Him we might be made the righteousness of God. Jesus took your sin on Himself on the cross. And if you trust in Him, He will give you His righteousness. And when you stand before God, God will not see you for your sin or even for the things you think are good works. But He will see you only as He sees His own Son. Through the righteousness of Jesus. You will be judged on the basis of whether or not you received the words of Jesus. The Pharisees didn't. In just a few days, the crowd will yell, crucify. But John gives his invitation to you. Do you believe his word? Do you believe the message of Jesus? Stand with me, let's pray. God, we do thank you for the message of Jesus. We believe that he is God in the flesh. That we are sinners and could, can do nothing to earn your favor. Nothing to make ourselves righteous in your sight. But Christ has died for us. He's taken the punishment of our sins on himself. That if we should repent and believe, we may be saved. And you call each of us who has believed in you to walk in the light. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in each of our hearts. You know our standing with you. And I pray that you would make it clear to us in Jesus' name. Amen.